0: Hello, and welcome to the Beef Cattle Health and Nutrition Podcast, Episode 2. I'm your host, Dr. John Campbell. I'm a veterinarian and a professor at the Western College of Veterinary Medicine at the University of Saskatchewan. I'll be interviewing researchers, veterinarians, and nutritionists on topics related to beef cattle health and production from a Canadian perspective. This week, my guest is Dr. Karen Orson, who is a veterinarian and epidemiologist, and works as a professor at the University of Calgary Faculty of Veterinary Medicine. Our topic for this episode is preconditioning of weaned beef calves. Let's get started. Well, welcome, Karen. Thanks for uh, joining me on that podcast. Episode number two, you're one of our first uh, uh, interviewees so thank you for joining me.
1: Thank you for the invite. I'm happy to talk to you about uh, topics close to my heart.
0: Well we're recording this on November 4th 2022 and we just got a pretty big blast of snow here in a lot of western Canada. I actually drove back from Alberta on the weekend and it wasn't a very nice drive. What's your weather like today?
1: Well, I woke up to minus 29, uh, but as always, uh, the snow stopped and we have blue skies in Alberta now. So we try to recover and uh, get going on our fall run.
0: Yeah, yeah, it is kind of past the peak of the fall run maybe now, where there's certainly still a lot of calves uh uh, going to market in, in many parts of Canada. And it's a pretty stressful time for some of those calves at, at this time of year. What are some of the stressors that that happen in, in those calves as they, as they leave the cow-calf ranch and head to feedlots?
1: Yeah, well, we had a good bridge with the weather. For sure, the weather was a major stressor. Uh, but I think the biggest stressor in the life of a calf is always being separated from the dam. And the separation from them, uh, the weaning process, uh, if that happens concurrently with other stressors like the weather or you know, being loaded on a truck or even just moved to a different location, so transportation in general, um, is very stressful. And on top of that, if they leave uh, a local ranch to go to a different location, they can be mixed and mingled with other uh, calves from other locations. So you know, the social structure is gone for those calves. So a lot of adjustments in a relatively short period of time.
0: Yeah, for sure. One of the management strategies that we've talked about for years to sort of deal with those stressors is called preconditioning. And I expect lots of our older listeners that are my age are aware of it. It it was promoted a lot in the 80s when I first graduated uh, in many parts of Canada and, and North America Generally, but for maybe those folks who aren't as familiar with it, what exactly does preconditioning mean?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because I think it means a lot of different things to different people. But if you ask me, what I mean by preconditioning is everything and anything we do to prepare the calf for a healthy life. So it's not just about the stresses we talked about that happen in fall, but it's also about other stressors and other ways of preparing the calf for, you know, the separation from the dam and life in a feedlot. So think about optimal vaccination strategies. Think about optimal timing for castrations and other interventions of the male calf. Uh, And then for sure, you know, supporting the calf to be ready for life in feedlots, which means that you have to learn that now food comes in the bunk and it's no longer grazing or, you know, being uh, fed from a round bale or swaths uh, on pasture. So there's a lot of things that are part of that whole management. And preconditioning is really how do we prepare our calf for life as a grown-up.
0: Yes. And I think it's important. I think you emphasize that uh previously when we were talking about this before the show, how it's more than just vaccination, right? There's more components to it than that. So what are all the components that go into preconditioning specifically? Trying to spread those stressors out so they don't all happen at the same time. What what do we need to do?
1: Yeah, I think you need to have a plan uh, that encompasses every intervention that happens to a calf. So what happens at birth, what happens at processing, can we wean earlier and definitely can we wean before the animal is being transported to a different location so ideally up to 45 days the animal is already weaned from the dam has learned to eat from a feed bunk knows where to find water sources like a waterer or any other source of water um, and and those are the m- most important management components on top of an optimal vaccination protocol and uh, interventions like uh,
0: castration. For sure. And and obviously, we want to castrate those calves as young as possible uh, if we have a, a way to do it. So hopefully, that's not even an issue around weaning. But uh, if it is, we definitely want to uh, make that stressor separate from that, that event as well. I um, agree. What's, what's the evidence that it actually improves health outcomes once they get to the feedlot? So So is there evidence of that?
1: Well, like you said, you know, when we started looking into this in the 80s, um, there was definitely an impact on health that was recorded. So less animals died of, um, of BRD mainly, which is our biggest concern on arrival in the feedlot. And also less animals got sick. So morbidity was way lower. However, I think we might have lost the impact of preconditioning a little bit because we had amazing antimicrobials to help us with the challenges of BRD. So our management became a little bit less important and antimicrobials helped us to help these animals through the first two months uh, in the feedlots. However, we all know now that things might have changed in 2022 where we are really trying to work um, a management that is less dependent on antimicrobial use and reduce the the use of the antimicrobials as well as you know some challenges with antimicrobial resistance some of the drugs are still on our shelves but might just not do the job as much uh, as or as good as they uh, did before
0: so uh, obviously, that's important. What, what kind of reduction in treatment rates for BRD would we see in those preconditioned calves in some of those, some of those more recent trials anyway, I guess? What, what, what have we seen?
1: Yeah, well, if you allow me to just uh, talk a little bit about our own research done in 2020, uh, we compared uh, a group of 250 preconditioned calves that moved from the ranch straight into a feedlot and compared them to animals of the same weight and same frame uh, that were um, bought at the auction market. And we saw that the auction calves were three times more likely to get sick. So we had a pen of auction calves that did not get antimicrobials on arrival. So that is different from routine. But we ended up up to 60% of the animals with BRD when they came through the auction where in our preconditioned calves those calves were just more resilient and they you know we had a few cases but way less than our animals that were sourced at the
0: auction interesting so pretty dramatic reduction and those calves were were commingled together they weren't in separate groups right you didn't have the preconditioned calves separate from the conventional auction market calves.
1: Yeah, that's correct, because I think one of the reasons that the industry told me that they're not interested in uh, buying a premium or paying a premium for a preconditioned calf is sometimes also, you know, is there enough calves to fill a pen with preconditioned calves only of the same sex and the same frame and weight? And um, that's sometimes not possible. And producers told me they're not convinced that preconditioned calves mingled in with auction calves would outperform well i think our study debunked that a little bit because we mixed them in um, in a 75 25% so 75 uh, preconditioned calves with 25 uh, auction calves half half so 50 50 and a pen with only 25 pc calves preconditioned calves and 75 auction calves and Throughout the first 40 days, the preconditioned calves showed less signs of the disease and in every pen, whether they commingled or not, did better uh, health-wise than our auction calves.
0: And did you see any differences in feeding behavior? I, I think you looked at that as well.
1: Yeah, for sure, because you know, ultimately, we're always interested. I was kind of thinking that would be your next question: is whether it's worth it, right? Will it will it pay off? Uh, An average daily gain, of course, is a good measure to look at that. But we only had the opportunity to measure these animals or follow them for forty days, so we thought, let's see if that uh, training of a feed bunk uh, at the ranch really uh, worked and we showed in the first 7 days on at the feedlot that the preconditioned calves ate way more than the average uh, the auction calves so they spent more time at the feed bunk they spent more time chewing and they had no issues finding the feed bunk and the waterer when they arrived in this new environment so the feeding behavior was definitely percentage wise always showing that the pre- preconditioned calves did better Again, whether by themselves or mingled in with auction calves. And now, before you're going to ask me, I'm going to tell you the part of the research that I'm not so—I wasn't so happy with initially, uh, because average daily gain showed the opposite. So our auction calves performed a touch better than our preconditioned calves. And what we noticed when we really delved into our data. Is that the arrival weights of the auction calves were in a super tight margin? There was no shrinkage and they were all within almost the 30 pound range. So they were amazingly uh, sorted by the auctioneer. And I already told him, I said, You did too good a job. You screwed up my research because I selected my preconditioned calves at birth because I followed them from the ranch, from vaccinations at birth, through a processing procedure, throughout their summer pasturing. So by the time they arrived in the feedlot, I had a really wide range. Unfortunately, I had a tiny one that was just over 400 pounds, all the way up to 750. So way too wide a range. And that arrival weight was definitely quite determining for the average daily gain. And that's, I think, our explanation why our auction calves within that 600, 620 range of arrival weights perform better when you compare average daily gains in the first 40 days.
0: That makes sense. Um, what did your ranch staff think of the extra work of preconditioning? Did they, uh, did they think that was worthwhile?
1: Well, that's my claim to fame, because uh, in 2001, without us doing any research, because COVID still made it research really hard on farm, they actually decided to implement fence line weaning that we had used in our preconditioning. So fence line weaning is allowing the animals, so the dams on one side of the fence, the calves on the other side, and just have a few days where they can still be in auditorial and visual contact, but no longer nursing. And they enjoyed that so much that they decided to just keep fence line weaning because they really enjoyed how it reduced the stress on the calves. The calves were very calm, but also the moms. Of course, there's dams on the other side of the fence that are bawling because they want to get close to that calf. But the biggest uh, thing that the staff told us was how easy it was to move the dams away. They were totally fine at a certain point to say goodbye to their calf. And when they were moved out of sight, they were fine. They were calm and they were not stressed at all. And actually, that is the trial that we're going to start in three days from now, is we're going to measure the stress impact on on the dams. Because I think that's a benefit to the ranchers that was never quantified and might actually be a bigger impact than we've ever recognized. We always focused on the calves, but I can tell you the moms enjoy that slow process of weaning as well. And I think it makes sense. It's more natural. That's what normally would happen as well. There would be a slow, gradual weaning. So we're going to mimic that.
0: Interesting. And, and yeah, I think... Future episode, I'm probably going to have uh, uh, Dr. Derek Haley or Dr. Joe Stuckey or maybe both of them together to to talk about uh, some of their original work on on uh, low stress weaning that they did uh, here at uh, WCVM years ago too, uh, and that's going to be a great follow up, Karen. That's that's really interesting. Let's just go back and and talk a little bit about about it in the in the bigger picture. So. So do we know how many producers actually precondition their calves right now? Or do we have any data on that?
1: Well, we, we did have a look at the survey that uh, your team at the WCVM looked at, the Western Survey, as we tend to refer to it. And uh, unfortunately, not that many people uh, use preconditioning or a, a different weaning strategy because those are two different things, right? So um, weaning strategies, sometimes up to a third of the people use a strategy that involves either um, fence line weaning or nose flaps, uh, quiet wean, or at least allow uh, the, the calves some time at the ranch before they're transported to the feedlot. Another component that we looked at was how many calves from the auction group actually arrived at the feedlot with a a good immunity, so with antibodies in their blood. And a lot of the calves just did not have the right amount of antibodies. So that is also part of our preconditioning, uh, right? So they totally depend on the vaccine provided to them on arrival, but that's on the day that you were on transport. You might have gone through the auction. And so that vaccine is not always... Uh, it might just be a little bit late, and we're not always sure that it works really effectively. So there's a little bit of uptake, but not enough. And I hope that uh, Joe Stuckey and Derek Haley can convince people to go back to the drawing board for uh, some weaning strategies because I think it's worth it.
0: Yeah, we know a lot of a lot of producers uh, um, wean right. Onto the truck, basically, and and part of that's maybe uh, facilities and some of those sort of things. Is there an economic advantage to doing preconditioning? Like, can cow calf producers make more money there? I think that might be one of the one of the bigger issues.
1: Yeah. So uh, one of our uh, students, we had like five graduate students working on this project, and one student uh, that worked at the U of A. Looked at the economic impact uh, that we could measure in our study, um, and when it comes to uh, cost um, related to health, it was very obvious that our preconditioned calves uh, were way healthier, and we calculated eight to thirteen dollars per head uh, better better or lower health cost. But as I said, our average daily gain did not outperform so and especially if you take into account um, the rancher's expenses, so the costs that they have to make to make this happen, and you just mentioned, you know, facilities, uh, labor is another big component, and um, it's, it's challenging for them because um, if the market is not paying them a premium, currently the um, advantages sit with the feedlots, and hopefully our data will convince them that it's worth paying a little bit of an extra because the health. Costs are definitely reduced, but uh, for for now, with the labor and the facility investments in the ranch, it's sort of break even.
0: Yeah, and I think I think uh, Dr. Mark Hilton has uh, published and written some articles that would suggest that there might be a benefit to the cow calf producer in terms of extra weight put on too as well uh, prior to sale. So uh, there might be a slight advantage uh, there as well, but there's definitely challenges in our segmented industry. It, it's, it's definitely a, a uphill grind. And I think uh, Dr. Melissa Moggy in our Western Canadian cow-calf surveillance study uh, identified that a lot of cow-calf producers just don't have facilities or, or handling facilities or in some cases feed resources. Uh, to allow them to feed those calves prior to selling them as well. And and so I guess, you know, we know that that welfare advantage is there. We probably got to figure out the economic side of that argument to make it work for everybody. Uh, but it's one of the challenges with our um, segmented industry. Well, thank you, Karen. Uh, do you have any final comments that we should have covered before we, before we leave our preconditioning uh, um, discussion?
1: No, I hope that we can continue uh, getting more information on this and and would love to hear from the industry where they feel the questions uh, are because one of our studies was really initiated by uh, talking to people and uh, the questions that they had about the commingling. Uh, We're looking forward to share more data that is coming out of that study and uh, our current maternal stress uh, project. So, um, yeah, looking forward to episode 102
0: that's great well we'll have you back when you get some results from that episode thank you so much for doing this and uh, i hope you have a good day thanks to everybody for listening that's our show for this week thanks for listening and thanks again to my guest dr karen Orsel from the university of calgary thank you as well to our sponsors the alberta beef producers and the beef cattle research council please consider subscribing so that you can automatically get future episodes wherever you get your podcasts take care until next time